The reading this morning is from Romans chapter 8. I'll begin at verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his Spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For you if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. There's a secret that you may not know, but I have my notes in my Bible via um, paper clips. And on rare occasions, I paper clip over the place where I need to go back to and read. That was just a little something to say while I took my paper clips out. This passage follows immediately after one of my favorite passages in the whole Bible. Now, this is one of my favorite passages too, but a lot of its power comes from the fact that it follows Romans chapter 7, the part of the Bible that I could have easily written if I were a little bit better writer. But Paul says, now, and this is Romans 7, now I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And then Paul says... There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And yet, I'm like, no, I condemn myself. I try to do good and I can't always do good. I try to be better and sometimes I'm worse. So yes, there's condemnation. I condemn myself. I get frustrated with myself. But Paul says there is no condemnation. And the word he uses for no, the language in the Greek, is far stronger than what we can convey in the English. What it's saying is there is, 
now and forever and never ever can be any kind of possible condemnation for you who are in Christ Jesus. So all that stuff, all that fight, all that battle that makes me feel bad about myself doesn't make God feel bad about me at all because there is no condemnation for us. And the, the way to understand humanity, which Scripture explains to us that not many people get, even people who think they understand the Bible, is that you are evil, okay? Get it, get it through your heads, you're evil, you're bad, and so am I. Jesus said, when he was talking to the disciples about prayer, he says, if, you, if your child asks for bread, will you give them a stone? If they ask for an egg, will you give them a snake or a scorpion? Well, no. And then he says, you, even though you are evil, know how to, good give, know how to give good gifts to your children. Now, the problem for most of societies is that we believe in the, the fact, the idea that there are evil people, and we're not them, and there are good people, and we're them. Or maybe we think we are one of the evil people and there are good people and I can't be one of them. The truth of Scripture, the truth that Scripture reveals is that we are all evil. We are all impacted by the power of sin. And if we try to divide people into good people and bad people, we get very confused when a good person does something irritating or annoying or just downright bad. And we get very confused when a bad person, in our categorization, does something nice. We're like, oh, what must they be doing that for? They wanted to get something out of me because they're a bad person. They'd never do anything good. Well, the fact of the matter is, folks, you are bad and you are good. They are bad and they are good. We all carry the image of God within us, but that image is tarnished desperately. Sinfulness permeates humanity. And it is only when we understand that we, like Paul in Romans chapter 7, live in this in-between of wanting to be good but not being able to do it that we can fully embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ, who by his work, not ours, accomplished our salvation. By his work, removed all condemnation from us. We are, you are not measured by how well you stack up against other people. You are not measured by how well you obey God's law. You are measured by the completed work of Jesus Christ. Now, first point, you're evil. Second point, you can't fix yourself. And this is a problem that a lot of people have, and I have heard it said so many times, and I might have even shared this with you before, people say, well, you know, all religions are basically the same. They're just trying to help people be good, telling people the things that are good and the things that are bad so they can do the things that are good and not do the things that are bad. That's what religion's all about, right? 
And people bring their children to Sunday school so that the children learn how to be good people, good citizens, good Christians, and learn how to be good, because we want our kids to be good. But if that's all they learn, they have missed the gospel. If that's what our programs are about, we're missing the unique opportunity to tell people the best news in the world. And yet so often people think, well, the point of going to church is to become good. The point of going to Sunday school is to become good. The point of serving in the church is to prove that I'm good. But the gospel says you cannot fix yourself. The gospel says you cannot be good enough. But Jesus Christ has fixed you. Jesus Christ has accomplished your salvation. That's the news we have to share in our Sunday school classes. And yet, then we say, oh, but wait a minute, Jim. Um, if we tell the kids that they're saved and, and Jesus did everything that they need to do and it doesn't matter if they do enough good anymore, then they might turn out bad, right? And I, I worry a little bit about you too. If I keep telling you that Jesus has accomplished your salvation and it doesn't matter um, what you have done to earn your salvation because you can't earn it, you might think, well, ha-ha, it's all done. It doesn't matter what I do. I'm going to do what I want. And that might not be what God wants. But God doesn't care because I'm, there's no condemnation. And Paul addresses that in Romans 6, 7, and 8. That's a beautiful treatise on all of, all of these concepts. And he says, shall we go on sinning that grace may abound? And he says, no. And one um, British preacher said, that's easily translated, heaven forbid. Or by all means, no. No way, we would have said in the 70s. Because our freedom from condemnation is the beginning. It is not the end. Second Peter 2, 11, a verse I've probably quoted four or five times in my seven months here because it's such a powerful verse, says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your souls. He's speaking to Christians. He's saying, Christians, run away from sin. And a Christian might say, why? Why do I got to run away from sin? There's no condemnation. I can do what I want. And Peter says, because sin wages war against your soul. What Jesus Christ has done is made our souls right. Remember, our soul is where we interact with God. And there is nothing now that gets in the way of our interaction with God. God has given us freedom from sin. So why would we continue to sin? God has given us a new identity. Why would we claim the old one? Sinfulness 
even though there may be no condemnation, causes us to question God, causes us to doubt God, causes us to doubt God's love for us. It does wage war against our souls. And what Paul says here is if you are living by the flesh, do you have the spirit at all? Because when we realize that we are free in Christ, free from condemnation, what that does is open up doors to live in fellowship with God, and nothing that gets in the way of that fellowship should be welcomed into our lives. Verse 5 says, put to death. Verse 5 says, um, Set your minds on what the Spirit desires. Verse 13 says, put to death the misdeeds of the flesh by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's one of the, one of the glorious, most wonderful things about our faith. We say, those who say all, all faiths are basically the same, all religions are basically the same. You have a set of rules that you're supposed to live by, and if you live by them, you'll be a better person. Christianity says you can't do it that way because you can't become a good enough person. So Jesus Christ suffered and died for you so that there will be no condemnation for you. He rose from the dead and stands at God's right, God's right hand interceding for you. And not only that, but Jesus said, I will send my Holy Spirit. And this passage tells us that we cannot live this life of fellowship with God without the Holy Spirit. We cannot live a life that is full of gratitude, full of uh, the wonder of our salvation without the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit indwells our hearts. The Holy Spirit guides us and strengthens us. Otherwise, we might live in a position of knowing there's no condemnation, but then still have the same battle going on within us of trying to do right but not being able to do right because there's no power. Christianity says that God's power is unleashed in God's church. God's power is unleashed in the individual human heart, the individual human self or soul. God's power is unleashed in you. And the way to experience that power is to put to death sin not by your own strength. Some of you have tried that. But by the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. And then, as that happens, your confidence in God grows, your relationship with God grows, and the Spirit shows you something else to do. The Spirit works in you to strengthen you for the next thing that God's calling you to do. John Ortberg points out that Jesus... When he was baptized, God said to him, you are my beloved son, in you I am well pleased. And then, and then, Jesus began his ministry. It is when you know that you are a beloved daughter or a beloved son of God, and that in you he is well pleased, that things begin. It is not working and striving and 
working and striving to get to the place where God says, I'm good with you now. I'm pleased with you now. Good job. It is God says first, I am good with you now. I am pleased with you now. Knowing that you're loved and accepted is the foundation upon which a Christian life is lived, not the, the idea that you can earn your way to making God happy with you. John Donne wrote this, Take me to you, speaking to Jesus, take me to you, imprison me, for I accept you enthrall me, shall never be free or ever chased, except that you ravish me. Nor ever chased, except that you ravish me. What Dunn was saying is that it is only when we allow the Holy Spirit to fill us that we have the power to say no to those things that tempt us. It is only when we allow what, God, what Christ has done for us to be completed, to be continually bubbling up within us, that we can easily say no to those things that would say no. Those sins that wage war against our soul. The key is not to focus on the sin. The key is to focus on the completed work of Jesus Christ, on your acceptance, and on the power of the Holy Spirit working within you. Years ago, my youth group was traveling, I think it was through Cincinnati, and we went to uh, a church in Cincinnati and stayed overnight, which we often did, and there was another youth group staying there as well. They were coming back from Montreat, and at Montreat, they were challenged, and they, they started this debate, and I thought, man, these kids are so much more spiritually mature than mine. But that's beside the point. The debate was, is there salvation without lordship? Or is lordship part of salvation? And I was glad my kids got to hear this because it made them wrestle with, what does this mean to make Jesus Christ Lord? But in a way, that's another one of those many discussions that is a lesson in missing the point. Do we need to make him Lord to be saved? We say, do you believe in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord? As, as we welcome people into the church, as we baptize people, but then there's this thing inside of us that says, yes, I know he's Lord, but he's not Lord of everything in my life. Does he have to be for you to be saved? If so, you're probably sunk. So, lordship salvation, no. But to have Jesus Christ be more and more the Lord of your life opens the doors for you to experience the Holy Spirit more and more. To rest on the foundation of no condemnation 
allows you to live into what that means, allows you to live into a relationship with God that allows you then the freedom to say, I want you to be Lord of my life, not by the power of your will to say no to things that are very attractive to you, but by the power of the Holy Spirit, as John Donne says, enthralling me, enthralling you allowing God to be so real in you that those things show themselves to be what they are, distractions, empty promises. I may have told you already, but when I was in college, I was cool, right? I did tell you that a few weeks ago. Um, some of you are amazed at that idea, but um, I, I was also, also cultured, you see, um, we went to all of the, um, the latest movies, especially the ones that were nominated for Academy Awards. So we went to see... Chariots of Fire, the story of Eric Little and um, Harold Abrams, both runners, both competing in the Olympics. Do you remember the line that Eric Little used when talking to his sister? Jenny, when God made me, God made me fast, and when I run, I know he's pleased. Eric Little ran his races as one who knew that he was loved by God. And when he was running, he was communing with God, thanking God for this gift of speed, and thanking God for God's grace. Harold Abrams ran to win. And if he didn't win, his whole sense of self was challenged. In Christ, we can live like Eric Little. Not people who have to prove ourselves over and over and over again, or try to prove ourselves just once, but live as those who are made complete in Jesus Christ. Live as those who are confident in God's love for us and allow that love to move within us, to regenerate us, to change us, so that there's more and more room for that love in us, and then that love overflows to the world. It happens naturally because we have nothing more to prove because we are already loved, accepted, received by God in you. God is well pleased. Live into that reality. Let us pray. Gracious God, we thank you for what Jesus Christ has done for us. And we confess that we still try to earn your approval. We still try to earn our salvation. We still think that if I do this one more thing, finally I'll be able to feel good about myself. Finally I'll be able to feel like you should feel good about me. And yet, all that is needed has been done. by your Holy Spirit now, in this place, in these souls gathered. Move 
in such a way that our confidence in what you have done for us grows. That we become more and more sure of your grace, more and more sure of our acceptance. And may that grace and that acceptance and that fellowship with you by your Holy Spirit along with your Spirit's power at work within us guide us to give our lives more and more completely to you putting aside those things that seek to trip us up and discovering more and more the wonder and glory of your will for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.